Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's up? Oh, lots of stuff. Did you know that this episode is brought to you by Fullscale.io? I did. You did? Yeah. Because we own the business? Together. Yeah. That's been going well. Uh, speaking of going well, you know, the guest that we've got here with us today, things have been going pretty well for his company. And it's your favorite subject, Matt. Marketing. Oh, I thought my favorite subject was making money. Oh, well, that's part of how it works. That's part of how it, it takes works. marketing to make sales money, right? and marketing. That's right. So let me go ahead and introduce Justin Watkins, who is the CEO and founder of Native Digital. Hello. How are you? Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in, man. I know that, uh, uh, first off, congrats on all the success that your business has had. You yeah. have, uh, um, you joined Mr. Watson and, and publications like Ingram's for being successful and you get currently the sixth fastest growing company in Kansas city. That's what Ingram says. Yeah. I think you're probably higher, right? No, I think that's right. I think that's a pretty good ranking <laughs> for us. So Matt, a long time ago, you gave me a deck of cards that had a bunch of marketing things on them. You like pull a deck out and it would say something like what motivates our core audience. You don't even remember this now. Yeah. You gave it to me. So that deck of cards, which had like, I don't know, 50 different cards in them with different stuff related to marketing, ways to identify and just produce good answers and define stuff about your brand. Well, that was some swag that Native Digital had handed out. And I congratulate it as, as a purveyor of swag. Mm-hmm. I think it's always good. Isn't it always nice to hear when it ends up somewhere useful? Instead of the trash? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 What percentage ends up the trash? Probably a huge percent, but a lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've had good response on that stuff. The, the background story on that was um, I've got tons of moleskins, right? Like a lot of people have different notebooks where they're keeping their ideas mm. and stuff. And I came across one that was probably four or five years old, buried in my dresser, and I pulled it out and I opened it up. And the first page had like five really tough questions in it. And it just kind of stopped me in the tracks. And I'm like, man, I, I wish I had something like this every day to try to figure out. And so that led to the idea, what if we had a plain card deck, basically, and every day you could draw a card and there was a question, you had to see if you could figure that one out, or you can use those to lead a workshop. So that led to the card deck. We created that, sent it out to a few folks. And I thought it was awesome. We've had some good responses. So Matt, I took that deck over to Cebu with me. I left it. Oh, really? It's where it lives now. Ah. Yeah. But you know, part of when I was over there talking about the people that help us build our own brand at full scale was that was defining some of it. And I just thought it was like, we actually, every day that I was there with the writers and the creative department, I went around and we all pulled a card and it, and it was really helpful because it was structured and it was fun and it was interesting. So thank you. Yeah, you bet. Um, now let's talk a little bit about what you guys do. Cause, uh, you guys work with tech clients and help them figure stuff out. That's right. Yeah. That's the whole definition of the company, right? It's basically figuring stuff out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, we're a marketing firm. So essentially what we do is people throw problems to us and we try to figure it out. We're kind of like chaos collectors and you try to be aware of what kind of chaos you want to collect and try to figure out. But for us, it's mostly brand strategy and customer acquisition type work. Okay. So now those are broad, 
like, super broad. Like cut like when we talk about customer acquisition and brand strategy, let's 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 go in a singular way. Let's talk about customer acquisition because, well, last time I checked, we need customers to sell stuff, right? As I'm asking you, Watson. Yeah, like we could do a podcast to okay. help get customers. As you can see, Matt is this is his. <laughs> it's one of our customer acquisition strategies. Is it? So, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Because everyone listens to this and they're yeah. like, "Wow, that Watson guy is is into marketing." Yeah. I should know. Um, all right. So, but when it comes to customer acquisition, I mean, there's a lot of ways to do it well and different stuff. Like, how do you? I mean, let's be more specific about what Native does with some of its clients. Like, yeah. like, like, show us the way, brother. So what's interesting is when people come to us, they say native digital, do you do, you build websites, you do social media marketing, you probably do search stuff like that, right? They've already kind of defined it in their head based on that word digital being our name. We're actually pretty agnostic in terms of the channels. Um, so if we're working with a tech client and they're in sort of like second stage growth fund, they're, they're really starting to move things, but they haven't like figured that formula out for how they're going to grow. There's all kinds of things that are open up, right? Like they have all kinds of possibilities. They could, there's millions of things that they could do. So the place that we start once we get into that piece is just to look at all the different ways that they could grow and basically make a hypothesis of what do we think is going to work for them, what's working for their competitors, what's not working, and try to evaluate that and try to figure out, you know, where they need to be in the funnel, how much time do they need to spend with people, you know, are we doing more of a push, or are we doing more of a pull, evaluating, the, evaluating those types of things and then making a case for, I think this is where we should place our bets and then do it in a lean way to where we can start proving that out before we invest a lot of money. And so I think that's that's generally the way we would go about it is uh, I think when you work with the more enterprise brands, they're used to spending a lot of money. They're ready to spend a lot of money. They've had things that they've done before, whether they proved it or not. So we're coming in trying to evaluate things, make a hypothesis and do it lean and then build on top of those wins and also be really quick to know if something's not working. Right. So if you're investing in something and you're basically proving it out that it doesn't work, then let's pull the plug on that and invest it somewhere else. Whereas I think a lot of other people in our shoes are not going to do that because they don't want to say, hey, this didn't work. Nobody wants to say we had an idea and it didn't work. You just keep trying to rationalize why it did work. So I think that's something we've really had to teach as we hire people in is, hey, we're really quick to point out if we make a mistake or something's not working because we need to reallocate and fix that. That's very different than how most of the people in our industry work. And so we've had to kind of retrain our staff on that. What are some of the bigger mistakes that people are making or, th or oversights or omissions with, with customer acquisition? A lot of them, right? So right, right. I think at the beginning, let's let's talk about the plan. Uh, I think most of the plans that we look at are hunches or hand-me-down plans, right? So either someone had a hunch and said, I think this will work, usually because they saw someone else doing it, but they haven't really put it through any kind of rigor to evaluate that. Or the other is, this is what we've been spending our money on, so let's keep spending money on that. Um, so what we could try to come in and do is actually you know, punch holes in that and try to evaluate it, put more rigor into it. So I think it starts with the plan. From there, I think that people don't start with a, with a formula um, to evaluate. So they don't, it, it's amazing to me how many people aren't thinking about customer lifetime value at the beginning and what they're gonna have to input to get the right output. It's more of just like, well, this is a good KPI. The KPI isn't revenue. So how do we, you know, what's the CLV that we're looking at? What's the conversions here? If your sale isn't online, what's the sales conversions, all those types of things and going all the way from I'm investing this to what the revenue is. and so. It literally is, to me, a very basic concept, but it's just doing those concepts well and sticking to them and doing them at the right time, doing it earlier than later. And then we have silence. <laughs> 
Well, and I, I think a lot of startups or, or you know, even, even growth stage companies is they find one traction channel that works very well. So be it referrals or networks or trade shows or digital advertising or cold calling, whatever it is, right? And they may struggle to scale that uh, channel, but then even struggle more to figure out an additional channel. Exactly. Right? Like we were lucky at Venn Solutions that cold calling worked really well. You could call up any car dealership in the world and be like, I don't need to talk to the guy who sells cars and you could get them on the phone and be like, I can help you sell more cars. We need to have a demo of our software tomorrow. Right. Like yeah, but that, that was, but that easy. wouldn't work for sacrifice, but for other businesses yeah. that doesn't work at all. And for us that scaled really well. And we did almost nothing else. We like, we really didn't have a marketing department. We didn't do advertising. We didn't do anything. We just hired more people to make more phone calls. Like we were able to scale the hell out of that go to market strategy, but other companies like using stack by as an example, that wouldn't work. Like I can't even call a software developer. They don't have a phone. They don't answer a phone. So every business is completely different and that's what makes it so hard. And, but for a lot of people, like even using full scale as an example, right? Like we get customers a certain way. How do we scale that? And sometimes it's really difficult to figure out like there, I don't know the magical way to just do this three, three times more so often than we do now. Right? Cold calling like, probably would work on some level for us at full yeah. scale. I mean, like it would work. It, it, I wouldn't recommend it at Stackify because it's a different approach. Now, would it, I don't know how effective it would be, but you would probably get some people that would be willing to talk to you. But I, I think the key yeah. point there is like scaling what works can be very difficult and finding something else that works can be even more difficult. Absolutely. So there's a lot of fintechs we work with where they, we might come to them and they say, our best channel is affiliate marketing. We, we can get good leads there reliably. But the problem is they're expensive and we're capped out at a certain amount. Yeah. So they'll say, do you know of a second channel that we use? We've, we've experimented with a bunch of stuff and nothing's really worked. Well, sometimes the experiments aren't done correctly. Sometimes they are. And so it's there for us to basically say, all right, that's a benchmark. They're, the CPA on this is that, you know, this is the level. Can we beat that? And they can only get so many of those. So is it paid search or is it something else? Yeah. And, and a lot it, of channels max out. Like cost, right. like Google ads and stuff might work really well, but like, oh, yeah, a budget of $1,000 a month works really well. We get really good conversion. We can buy a whole bunch of other keywords, but the conversion on them, it's crap. Yeah, and, and like we really just cap out at a certain returns. spot. Yeah. Yep, there's a shelf at that point yep. where everything starts to change. And that's frustrating if you're trying to grow a business and you're trying to scale and you're like, damn, I just don't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, it's... Well, but some of it, too, is like, and I've, I've watched you at Stackify kind of transition. So when I first met Matt the business's marketing plan was very centric on CBC. And you, like the very first time I sat down with you, we were kind of com like, man, I got to figure out a way to not spend all this money on this because it doesn't really yeah. do a whole lot. And he was transitioning over to, into a content marketing plan, which has been very successful. Um, so when you work with the with different brands, uh, you're basically, you're trying to create a formula, right? And and that's, but that's different, 100% different in every and for every company, I mean, there's probably a lot of similarities now with that, how much of that formula. All right. So some of that is, you know, some people just don't want to do certain types of things to market their business. So how do you take that into what well, they, they don't like some people like certain things or they're, they're really going to play favorites. Like, do you use the analytical way, like saying, Hey, look, I know you really want to do this, but if you look at it, the formula doesn't really matter. It doesn't, totally. it doesn't match up. Everybody comes in with baggage of, you know, failed experiments or been burned yeah. on something, right? So like we, we might talk to an established company and they look at, you know, something where we're, we're doing maybe like grassroots rollout or using influential 
uh, people to endorse us or maybe doing a lot more own media than they're comfortable with. And they're like, what about billboards and radio? And we're like, well, that can work in certain situations. I don't think this works in your situation. They're like, we've always been billboard and radio people. So trying to re-educate them, you have to earn their trust first. And that doesn't happen in the first meeting. So in some ways, sometimes we have to do things that we don't, we wouldn't necessarily invest in, but you, you live to, you know, come back to them in a couple of months and be like, all right, so we've tried that. Now do you, can you trust us to, to do some more things? Those are tough to track too. Billboards yeah. and radio. Like I mean, that's, you want to, here's your impressions. You talk about things online that have like an actual tracking code. You do not have one on the highway billboard. I went through a lot of that with some of the companies I worked for a long time ago when retail was really changing and, you know, the internet was becoming a lot more prevalent. People were like, Hey, the yellow pages, like when was the last day have you looked anything up in the yellow pages? Like, do you even have one? You know, I'm glad they don't even send them to me anymore. <laughs> I, I feel like I don't they, have to recycle. I, feel, it, right? I know. I know. Yeah. And that's my point though. But so I went through some of that too, because someone I worked for that it was older, they were older. And what had always worked for them is what they really wanted to focus on. And I remember like saying, we need a website. And they're like, yeah, no one's searching for stuff on the internet. I'm like, yeah, really? Are you sure about that? Well, and that was kind of a, a key point in VIN solutions back in the days. Like the car dealers went through like 2008, 9, 10, through all that recession and all the car dealers started losing money. So they stopped spending yep. $25,000 a month advertising in Auto Trader Magazine or buying a full page ad in the newspaper. and and they're like, we got to figure out this digital thing. Like it actually kind of forced the industry to, to further embrace digital. Mm -hmm. uh, Van was, was the, was the, was a huge, was the lion's share really only call outs? Like, did you guys not do really ever do, even as it got big? Did no, you really it not? Phone calls. It so call, it was, that was what was scaled. Call, like yeah. if we wanted, if you wanted to scale up, you went from X. Okay. We're, we're adding five more people. Yeah. It, we had like 50 people that made phone calls. Didn't time. they run, didn't you run out of places to call? Well, that's what's funny is we had, you know, there's like 15 to 20,000 car dealers, right? And yeah, that might sound like a lot, but with 60 people calling all day, like you could carve into that pretty quickly. You right? can. We, I mean, you could, we had probably keep calling them again and again and again. Well, that's the thing. You'd call them and they'd be like, oh no, we use this other product and you guys suck. Don't ever call me again. And you call back three minutes later and I got to work there. <laughs> oh, sure. Because car dealers turn over so high. Point. They yeah, don't even work there point. anymore. So you yeah. just call them back again. Okay. And yeah, you just like keep cycling through. <clears throat> So before we hit record, Justin, we were talking about how you guys also specialize in brand strategy. Uh, branding is like the conversation of branding. I find it to be highly interesting because there's 10,000 approaches. And once again, hard to track. Like, what's the value of your brand? Like, in, like what? OK, so like, what's the value of Google? I don't mean the company, like the brand. And, you know, there's there's an intangible nature to what your brand value is. And we've spent a lot of a lot of time, focus, and energy on that in the first year and a half of full scale, you know, like, and, and you can't, it's, it's difficult. Like your brand is what makes people recommend you and, and trust you and do stuff like that. And you, there's a different approach to doing it. So what are some of the things that you guys do to like, how do we develop a brand strategy? Like what, I think it starts with what you think your what brand is, right? So there's still a lot of people who think that's well, what is brand? What's you your look. definition? To me, it's real estate that you have in people's minds. Sure. And so uh, everybody is one of the scarcest resources right now is attention. And so you only get so much and the real estate that you're going to hold in someone's mind is very small. So if you have some influence on what that real estate is, what they think about you and you can influence that, that's to me, that's a valuable thing. And if you don't have influence on it, then they can make that make your name represent anything or may not even be there. 
So for when we talk about brand strategy, it's, yeah, there's a lot of visual stuff that goes into it. We do that well, but it really starts out with like, who are you? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to achieve? What's, what's your story? Yeah. yeah. What's the story? Yeah, I think to me, it's always the, when I think of that brand, what do, what do I think about like the problem they solve or the service they provide? Like those things go hand in hand. Or if I'm thinking about a problem, that brand is the one that I think of. And then ultimately I think trust, like, you know, if I'm shopping for something, well, I'm going to buy something from this brand because I, trust I use Google as an else. example, like just the little G, you know, like yeah. you recognize it. If that's on something and it's sitting next to something that doesn't have any, I mean, there you go. They could make charge more for it. It could be the exact same thing. So, and, and that's, I think that's, what's always interesting because you see brands or things sell and, you know, like when you are doing your balance sheet that, I mean, that's like as, as uncalculable as like, how do you, what is the value of the brand? And it's funny, like the way you, you know, if you have a strong brand or a weak brand by funny signs, right? Like, so, you know, one, I think one thing is, you know, do you get meetings with the people you want to have meetings with? Like, that's a sign of a strong brand. Yeah. If you can't get the meetings with the people you want, like that's a sign that you're actually a great point. I think that's a great point. I think for a CEO, you know, there, in fact, there was one company that came to us and they said, we, they were a nonprofit and they're like, we can't get a donor to ever answer a call from us. They just don't, they don't really respect our name. I'm like, that's your brand right there. It's, I think that's a great point. And, and that's, I think that goes to the point of a certain amount of advertising and things that we do are simply to promote the brand. So right. it's the recognition of the brand. Well, we've gone into that, like with our sweet and great events, mm -hmm. like that is, I, I don't know if you're even aware of those, but you know, we host entrepreneurs, influencers, like it's a selfless kind of thing. Like, Hey, come have fun, be around some people that are in your community you know, we don't try to sell you a timeshare or anything like that, but that was like trying to, that was a branding exercise. And it was also like helps us introduce our brand to our community and in a, in a way that was different. And a good example of this is I wanted to buy a new Wi-Fi system for our office because the one we have sucks. And so I went on LinkedIn and I asked, because I have like 15,000 connections that are mostly in IT and universally they all recommended the same brand. And so now I have like this different perception for totally. this brand yeah. I've never even heard of before. And now all of a sudden I have them, them brand is like on a, you know, platform somewhere where I like worship them because yeah. everybody recommended them. Like, and I don't have any experience with them, but that's the perception I have of that brand now because everybody recommended that. I, I brand. think that, I think that's how the world feels about startup hustle now. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I trust this brand. I love it. Put us on a podium. Yeah. That's why you're here, right, Justin? It you're is, like, it wow, is. the brand, see, we got the meeting. He took the call. <laughs> he took the call. But no, that's absolutely right. Actually, you know, originally when we would ask people to be a guest on our show, they'd be like, eh, never heard of this thing. Yeah, but Where no, now we have more of a brand in town. The, Matt, Matt asked, says that as if he's invited people to be on the show. <laughs> but actually in the beginning, you did. Yeah. You did. But it was, it, it, I, I think that, I never really thought about that. Like, who will take your call? <laughs> or your meeting. And that is actually like really, really valid. Like, can you pierce through nine layers of, of climbing to the decision maker? Cause if you're, if you, if your brand's weak, if the, your, or your personal brand, like I'm a big personal brand guy. I believe that no matter whether we do this podcast or we, we own full scale or do anything, like I'm always Matt DeCourcy. So there's a lot. And Matt's the same way. Like Matt is a strong brand. I mean, Matt is, is very well respected within the IT community and, you know, that's good. Like that helps you get in front of a lot of people. So we talked about some things that make, can make your brand stronger, but what are some, what are some serious branding errors you see people making? So I think the way to make it stronger is the, is, or weaker, it, it comes down to, 
to me, the best exercise is to figure out the things that you easily could do that you're not going to do. Like, what are the things you're going to say no to? So what are the guardrails and say, we, we could definitely do that. We could represent that idea. Or we like what you're going to say no to as a company or what you're yes. going to say no to is for promotion. So as an example, you might say, well, we've got, we've got people in our, in our company that are pretty funny. We've got some that are really smart. We've got some that are really thoughtful. We on and on and on. So, but what is, what is, how do we, what's the tone that we're going to show? You can't be all of those things. It, it look like you have multiple personality disorder. So you could also look at the products that you could offer. Like we could, we could go this way, we could go this way, we'd go this way. I think putting guardrails on what you could do, but you won't do and saying, we're never going to do that. Um, really helps you refine who you are and really makes a sharper brand. Because if you're just generally a lot of things to a lot of people yeah. and someone says, Hey, what is startup hustle? Well, we yeah. like it cause it's funny. And then someone else says, Oh, they're really insightful. And someone says they have great guests. That's not a, to me, that's not a strong brand, but if everybody says the same thing, you get that, known for a specific thing. Absolutely. Yep. Because yeah. now yep. you have influence on what they say. That's a much more powerful thing than leaving it up to them to say what that is. And, and speaking of brand, and I, I should have done this earlier because um, I like to encourage people to be interactive. And here we are like 20 minutes in. You, you can visit uh, Native Digital's website. It's nativedigital underscore dot com. No, no, no. NativeDigital.com. No. The social handle is at NativeDigital underscore. Okay. Yeah. So it is NativeDigital.com? Yeah, it is. You yeah. said there was an underscore in there. That's for the social. The handle. social. Yeah. <laughs> so let me try that again, NativeDigital.com. But if you're on the gram or, or the Facebooks, maybe the tweeters, Native Digital. To, to your point, there, there are some brands, like uh, good examples of this for me are like GE and IBM. They're big brands. No idea what the hell they do. Right. So it's because they do everything. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it. Like part of GE's thing was, especially like 20 years ago, they did so many things. It was like, they actually trimmed it down. But it's, it's back to the, like, I have a problem and I need to solve it. Who do I think of? Like GE and, and IBM would never, would never come to mind for me because they're just this big so when fluffy I, thing. You when know? I speak, I do, I demonstrate this point and I show, I show three things up on the screen and I say, let's talk about, let's talk about beers. And I said, what's a beer that's a cold beer. What's the coldest beer that you can think of right now? And open it up to the crowd. And most, most of the time they say Coors. Yeah. Coors is a great, is, yep. it's a cold beer, right? Yep. So then I'll move on to the next one. I say, what is a relaxing beer? What's a beer that you would have on a beach or what's relaxing? What, what would you guys say? Corona. Everybody says Corona. <laughs> so then I say, what's a, what's a beer that you drink after a workout? Wow. I, I want Nicolab Ultra. Everybody says Ultra. What's a beer you whoop, drink? Whoop, How about whoop, a beer whoop. you drink during your workout? That's another question. <laughs> okay, I'm three for so, three. Let's so, do one. So then I, I flip the, I flip to the next slide and I show all three of those logos. And I said, can we all agree this all pretty much tastes the same? But you know, and you know how much money they've spent for you to answer that beer yeah. and not something else. Yeah, yeah. Like true. They want you to think cold beer Coors, and, and they don't want you to think. The, I put it in the, the freezer hilarious. instead of the refrigerator. Right, yeah. <laughs> to me, that's a great demonstration of like positioning, like yeah. you position yourself around us. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about it's like for early companies when you're talking about building a brand. So you all the all the companies that you just mentioned, which is like all of them, they uh, you recognize the logo and you like so many things you would recognize a logo. Well, when your business is young, you do not. No one recognizes your logo. I think that it's important to make sure that, you know, you should be able to look at whatever it is you're representing and know what that company does in like five seconds on some level or, or remember it. Like, 
Um, you know, I, I see a lot of people that are like, Oh, the logo, of this, the logo, of that I'm like, well, you put it there. And, and I mean, no one knows what the frick you do. You know, and try, the name of the company is the same way. But yeah, yeah, the same thing. And like even with full scale, like that's that's tough because like what do we do? You know, and and at full stack, full, uh, people call us full stack all the time. <laughs> I mean, I will literally be talking to them, and they're like full scale, full scale, full scale. They're like yeah, well, at full stack, I'm like no, we might need to buy fullstack.com just so we can forward <laughs> it. So you know, I think that's I think that's an issue that that people that something that people put weight like don't assume that anyone's going to know what you do until you tell them. So I had this conversation over coffee this morning and there's two schools of thought there. There's people who say you can name your business, anything you want. It doesn't matter if you have a good product, good customer experience, it'll be, it'll be, it'll work fine. And obviously that's, that's proven out. We can think of some names that are kind of ridiculous for what they are. I disagree with that though. I actually think the name is like the quickest way to convey what it is right. your value prop is. Yeah. So I think naming shouldn't be that thing that you just willy nilly throw a dart at. I think it's the opportunity to communicate something. I think people get try to be overly clever yeah. sometimes too, and it's kind of like I don't know. I think especially in the tech world, I think uh, we've almost it's almost assumed or expected to to do something that's I don't know. So little... we we should rename our business at full scale like quicklyhireddevelopers.com. <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally, yeah. That that go and. But that would go against some of the the recommendations I usually give. That is too long. <laughs> right. That is too long. Now, but well, but, and it also needs to be a unique name. If somebody searches for it, that it's like absolutely. a brand. Well, that you can name. you can run into that. Like, so think about it. Fall and scale are two pretty commonly used yeah. words. And then you know it's it. But part. But that did. By the way, Matt was the one that came up with that name. Like oh, yeah. name. oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I like the name. Yeah. It speaks to the outcome, not just. The, yeah, and that was yeah. that was you know, and we had kind of. Uh, had been kind of messing around because and another thing too is a, a business that we didn't start that wasn't the intention of the real business that we started so we kind of started full scale within the context of some mm -hmm. other stuff we were doing trying to figure out what we could come up with and then you know then you have to narrow it down so like what do we do we you know find developers quickly and affordably and being able to say that and like yeah. you know not maybe and, it's hard it's well, I know, hard. I know. And I tell people that a lot too, is like, you say, what do you do? And like five minutes later, they're done. You're like, eyes are glazed over and you're yeah. like, I still don't know what you do. Well, like, yeah, I mean, we have competitors that have really weird names and then we have competitors that have like valuecoders.com, like straight to the point. Right? I would so never call, I would never, I felt like that would cheapen it. Like but, for, I'll give you an example. Like we, so, so many people will refer to a, a developer that doesn't have a huge amount of experience as a mid-level or a junior developer. We actually removed that moniker because we only hire really high level of talent. So we felt like I, that was like cheapening yeah. their, their skill level. Like mm -hmm. you're just a developer, yeah. you know, or you can be senior that I get that. But you know, and some of that is you got to be careful as to not remove what, what you're talking about. So are, do you think that that's like the product market fit that you guys aim for? Is that like, is that fit into that? So, so here's the deal. We, we talk about fit a lot. And um, what we what we discovered working with tech companies is they're so different to work with than established brands, right? It's, it's completely different. Um, in fact, I'd say a fast growing tech company is probably the hardest client to work with. Their standards are super high. They're not easily impressed. They're still trying to raise money in many cases. Um, they have really high standards of where they go. So why do we work with them? We, we work with them because it's fun and it's challenging. And I, I consider it sort of like a benchmark of, is our team strong enough to work with brands like that? And if, if we can do that, I think we can work with established brands all day long and it'll keep us from getting fat and lazy. But 
the thing that we stole from that uh, kind of tech startup mentality was this idea of product market fit. I love, I love that concept. And in marketing, we don't, we didn't have that same concept, like this idea when everything just clicks together and you can grow. Like my whole career, I've been chasing, like, can I put together a perfect marketing plan? And the more I learned about product market fit, I'm like, oh, it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to fit. Can so, you put together a perfect marketing plan? I don't think you need to anymore. Yeah. I think you need to put together an ROI positive uh, marketing plan. And so we started calling that message market fit. So we work with companies who've got a great product, but they, they can't scale because they're struggling with channels or they're maxed out a certain channel. And so for us, it's like, all right, let's break down this complex thing called marketing and say, are we at the right audience? Do we have the right brand? Do we have the right creative? Do we have the right channel? And we've developed these frameworks for our team and that's helped us kind of put a process to this so we can hire people and then train them on it. So that's really worked for us. I mean, it, just giving it a name internally and saying, hey, it's message market fit. We got to prove fit. I think it gives everybody a good goal and um, it's been working for us so far. We've still got a long ways to go. Still working on different frameworks and ironing them out, but it's been helpful. See, we were having these same conversations at Stackify yesterday where um, in some sense, it's like, well, we're, we're selling our product, but are we still selling it to early adopters? And so at what point in time do we kind of max out on the early adopters right. and then we have to get to the next stage yep, of the totally. broader market and are we don't have the right messaging, the right focus or whatever? to have, you know, maybe a better product market fit at a larger scale. Absolutely. It's like we're, we're randomly getting kind of early adopters that will maybe put up with some of our, our problems or whatever and, yeah. and, and try I, the product anyways. But so one of our frameworks is, you know, what's the right audience to go to? Are we among different types of people who are we early adopters? Or is it more mass? And if you're selling to the masses, it, it needs to be proven out. They don't want to buy on potential like early adopters. And so the way you message is completely different. Yeah. So we're trying to analyze like where we're at in this cycle here and who's influencing who and who do we need to talk to first. And again, there's, there's, there's several companies that just don't buy into that. They're like, sell it to a lot of, you know, put this in front of a lot of people. And it's like, you're not ready for that yet. You, you haven't gotten, you're the, not ready for the Super Bowl ad. You don't have the stamp of approval from the people who matter. Well, and that's been our problem at Stackify is our customers are software developers. So it's everybody. So it's like, well, sell it to everybody. Well, okay. Or nobody. Like it's just too many people. Like you have to, you have to focus. I think you know, if you look at a struggle. lot of successful uh, tech firms who have really scaled, you can almost trace it back to that like little tribe of people who really endorsed it at the beginning, and then it blew up because they put their stamp of approval on it. So like it, like it's a long list. Like you could talk about like Slack or something like that. Like mm -hmm. who who endorsed that first? It wasn't the people who in my my office that we use it all the time. We love it, but it wasn't us. It wasn't creative folk who used it at the beginning. You know, so to me, it's like who who's that group that you're going to talk to? first and they're not the masses but you got to get that stamp of approval and then you can go from there and, and those think, things spread like fire everybody loves a cool new toy and if they really like it they'll tell somebody else about their cool new toy so we're taking that playbook and and taking that to uh people in different spaces who haven't thought like that before so like we will work with hotels and say if you're launching a new hotel who's the most influential people in this town who you need to get on their instagram feed and things like that so we helped do the brand for crossroads hotel and it's definitely Matt Watson here in Kansas yeah, city. Yeah. Yeah. I stay in a lot of hotels in Kansas city. Do you get, do you? <laughs> I mean, when I was yeah. having a real short, a short story, I was having some relationship problems while back and I stayed at a local hotel here in Leewood and the guy at the bar, he first, he's like, yeah, a lot of the guys here call this the dog house. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. That's what it was like the local name for the hotel. People are like, where are you from? I'm from here. <laughs> What are you doing here? Well, you know, that would dog. It was pretty funny. Well. By the way, that would actually be a great name for a hotel. 
like yeah, and like you literally cater to the local <laughs> the magnet. local person that like I, I gotta have a big bar well you have a different set of needs like a traveling <laughs> business person needs this like i need a completely different set of stuff yeah like can i get a, a fat fluffy leather chair like i don't know i, I there's a different set of needs yeah, can i, I like walk that. around here in just my shorts <laughs> Like, is do I feel comfortable knowing that there won't be children and women here? I didn't bring any clothes. They're all at my house. <laughs> you have a concierge service that yeah. will just run th <laughs> within a three mile radius. It will go pick up some subtle things that they just sell that, white Hanes men shirts. And well, like no, they, they have a yard retrieval service because she's probably thrown most of it out the window. <laughs> so, like. Within a three mile radius, we will go <laughs> fetch your stuff off of the lawn. Oh um, we will also have specific security here on site, knowing that she business. might be coming to kill you. Yeah, there you Soon. go. So now, since Got a target market there, yeah. yeah. So speaking of brands, <laughs> the brand that I want to see grow the most in 2020 is Mixtape the Game. Right? Yeah, let's play. Yeah. Have you played Mixtape before? I have not. Well, that's good because you're about to. Mixtapethegame.com, app coming soon. So here's the thing. Got a card, pulled it out. I'm going to read a scenario. We are all going to name a song and that we think fits that scenario. And then we will vote to who has the best song. You cannot vote for yourself. Here is the scenario. The best song for 80s aerobics class. I'm going with Physical by Olivia Newton-John. It's got to be Eye of the Tiger. Both good answers. Oh, Jesus. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> this is terrible. It's not even 80s. I, the first thing that came to mind, Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. That is 70s, but it would apply in 80s. Sure. And I think that those are all good answers. And I appreciate you, the Bee Gees reference because every now and then I listen to Boogie Child and I like that too. What do we got? What was your answer? Um, Eye you of the Tiger. Eye of the Tiger. Yeah. And he, uh, I'm going that way. I'm going for you. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't go for Eye of the Tiger because, like, that's not aerobics. That's like boxing. I got to go with our guest. Sorry. Boom. You I got to break. Congratulations. I can't end this in a three way With tie. the best 70s song for an 80s aerobics class, <laughs> Justin, you're the big winner. So, I mean, nobody's listened to current stuff in that. Yeah, but here's the thing. So, do you want the grand prize? Because if you want, and let me get ready, you can fire the money gun. Yes, the Supreme Money Gun. Let me get my video ready for you because we like to post these on the gram after. All right, all right, hang on. Go ahead. You can fire that at Watson if you want or wherever. Oh, here we go. Boom. <laughs> Man, you got some distance there. Good job. Good job. What do you think, Matt? It's pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Congratulations. Um, yeah, you did. You got distance, man. There's money everywhere. Wait, there's a $2 bill in there? Yeah. Nice. Price. Anyway, you, all right. Well, that's a Supreme money gun. Uh, if we're going to talk about branding, I mean, my God, how about a brand Supreme? Like, yeah. Right Ultimate I mean, story. I, there. I, I literally overspend on Supreme because I just appreciate good branding. I'm like, you literally put your name on a brick. I buy all and my sold it for a hundred dollars. I buy all my Supreme stuff in the Philippines. Yeah. That's a different brand for like 12. I think that's Supreme. <laughs> Yeah. Surprise. But you know, that's a, but if we're, we're talking about branding and like, I mean, wow, like that was a skateboard shop, like a streetwear shop. And like, you want to talk about and like, early adopters. Yeah. Being, I mean, they've avoided the mass markets for right, um, right. purposely. Yeah. And like always made weird stuff. 
You know, well, I'm wearing a Supreme shirt. Here you go. It's got a little bottle cap. And if you look at it, it says piss off. Yeah, originally they'd sold stuff like uh, every Thursday or something, right? And you'd have to line up early in the morning and stand in line and you can buy like one thing. Yeah, and their web store still sucks. But that's yeah, part. But I think they do that on purpose. Like, I, and it's really funny how like they almost try to be bad and try to do weird stuff. So, okay. Um, once again, if you get a chance to. Uh, check out fullscale.io. That's the business with Matt and I own together. We we're talking about, uh, you can check out startup hustle on our YouTube channel. Just search startup hustle. We're on the gram at startup hustle podcast. And while you're on the gram, check out native digital. You can learn more about Justin, his company at native digital.com. So there is a, a startup alumnus that we know and love that whose company has utilized the services of native digital. I'm going to give you three guesses, Matt. Who do you think it is? Uh, Faster. Uh, Wrong. No idea. You have no, no, literally no, in the history of the, of the podcast, you have no, no guests. You, no. you do not remember three guests that have been on the show. I do, but there's been 170 of them. So something. you can't think of three of them? <laughs> oh my God. Justin's company has worked with companies like C2FO. And ah, we love Sandy. Yeah. Sandy's a do. good guy. We like Sandy. He's got really great stuff to say. You've worked with some other companies. We don't have to get too far into that. But um, so what's the best way to get a hold of you guys if, if my tech company? So you're out there listening. You want to build a brand. Uh, these guys are proven here in town. So what? What? how do we get a hold of you? Website. Website's a great store. Is that a good place? Yeah. The internet? Yep. I heard it's a fad. So is that true, Matt? Yeah, we're working on the new internets. That <laughs> <laughs> we should invent a new internet. Is that a good idea? Yeah. Okay. At so, um, as we kind of like you know move towards the the end of the show here, now you take a, a, a large amount of pride in the culture at your company. Um, I think that's important. That's something that we just addressed. Uh, like we try to keep up with our office in in Cebu in the Philippines. It gets hard as the company gets bigger mm-hmm. and. Uh, sometimes it's easy to overlook things like so what what are some culture points that that you're really big on yeah i mean when we started we we had a half-baked business idea and we really just wanted to get good people together so i mean that was really the origin of the company was just trying to figure out how do we get good people together and then back into like some sort of business and then now you know four or five years later we're figuring some of those things out but in terms of culture for us, I mean, we, we've got the four words that describe it or whatever, but I think it ultimately comes down to a place where you feel good to be there. You can be yourself. You trust the people around you and you're impressed by the person next to you. So I think that's the feeling that we've got. Um, there's little kind of signals that I see day to day that kind of shows us that we're maintaining that. And what are a few of those, you know, our, our team will, will really talk openly uh, pretty frequently. There's not very many people who will kind of hold back. Meaning like you're not afraid to voice your opinion or yeah. just like, you can say, Hey, it's I'm... almost never in a critical way. Sure. Either. It's, it's, right. it's always, we, 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 here's an example. Like on Tuesday morning meeting, we do an icebreaker question where we just ask something ridiculous and we literally were small enough. Now we can still go around and all 23 people will answer some ridiculous question and we, it helps us get to know each other. So we're building empathy basically and understanding each other. But also people are kind of embarrassed, embarrassing themselves with some of their answers. And I think that's a really cool uh, vibe that we've got going is that nobody is sort of like self-editing themselves. They're just who they are. And the day that I think we get big enough or maybe the wrong folks in there where people start to self-edit or don't trust to, to be themselves, then we've got some problems. But so far, it's good. And it feels it's, it's a lot of fun to be part of a group like that. Icebreaker question. Matt, why were you in the doghouse? <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, that's rough. <laughs> I probably shouldn't talk about no, that. No, I'm just giving you. I'm just giving you a hard time. But you've <laughs> talked about anything, everything else, man. Go back Next. to Kristen Thomas episode. I think man. a week or two ago, the question was, "What's the ugliest vegetable?" And we literally had people who had like, you know. A minute that they could talk about their opinion on an ugliest vegetable. I People think. have really weird opinions, by the way. Uh, so here, I, and if you haven't used this one, you want to in, in, invoke some serious emotion. Um, bring up people that pour in the milk before the cereal. <laughs> Like for real, like, like I've literally made a YouTube video about it and I don't know how people keep finding it, but it has a ton of views and I can't believe the comment thread that has been going on. Like the the first time it was Jill that told me about it and I was like, are you serious? Like, I just couldn't believe that someone would pour in the milk before the cereal, but the people that do it, like they're really passionate. You want to talk about talking for a minute about like an ugly vegetable, they will tell you if there's someone that does it and first off i think that's wrong like why would you ever do that do you do that no absolutely would, not it, it doesn't even feel logical does it there's another group sense. of people that ha- that uh, don't like the if you cut the toast like straight in half and not into triangles yeah. like, are i mean do you do that oh yeah i'd have to do with the triangles right do you yeah. pour milk before the cereal no like does that feel no, weird and weird. wrong but so the so some of the things that people get into they're like well it preserves the crunch or like I don't know. They, I mean, they are, they are defenders of their position. Like, and they don't like you to tell them, I think they know that they're doing something wrong, but they, the only, way I, the only reason I can see that is you're trying to measure how much milk you put in. It's easier before you put the cereal. In, so that's the first step, Matt. That's the first step to becoming <laughs> one of these people is like, you're calculating it, but yeah. I would bring that up and I would love to hear more about it because <laughs> you, you'll learn something about people. And the pro the problem is, is, is so once you find out who they are is, maintaining your we, the we prior level of respect surprising things about yeah. our people this way yeah. yeah by the way that's the fun part that's the thing I, we've enjoyed like with mixtape like if you play more than one card you learn some real interesting yeah. stuff like mainly that matt watson thinks that uh that uh lent biscuit is as <laughs> <is> a song as <laughs> <laughs> a song and not a band um is, like africa is a country or something yeah, yeah that's also a song Really, right? Yeah. yeah, and not a band. Yeah. Or is, I bet there is a band somewhere called Africa. Probably. Do you know uh, funny funny story about that? I have a couple of buddies from Indianapolis, and when we are out in public and we hear the song Africa, we have to text each other. Nice. And we've been doing that for like ten years. Like, I mean, it's pretty consistent. Huh. And yeah, yeah. I'm gonna walk by your office now and play Africa. Every that's day. not out in public. <laughs> That's so, not out in public. You so have basically, to, you guys talked again whenever Weezer came out with their version. Oh yeah, out, that that, that, that changed things, yeah. and then that sparked a debate as to whether or not that version was better. It Matt, it would have to be something you can't just walk by my office and do that. It would be like if we were at the Royals game and they played that as a walk-up song. I would like text my buddy Jason Jones and I'd just say Africa, and he just you know so. Well, I'm glad we stayed way on topic with this. First off, if you are someone that pours the milk before the cereal, please make some comments on the Instagram show notes with us. I want to know why. Just explain why. You know, like what's your brand message with that? So, um, Justin, what are a few things that you're looking forward to uh, with Native Digital in the future and some of the clients? And like, what are your big plans going forward? Yeah, right now we're uh, in the process of figuring out where the next office is. So that's kind of consuming a lot of time and effort. I, that's where I just came from. Um, so it will be nice to have that figured out and also just a little bit more space to stretch out. Um, beyond that, we are focusing a lot better and I think saying no to some more things and that feels important. very clarifying to our, to a lot of us. So I think 
we, we've gotten to the point where I feel, feel like we're just now successful enough to say no to some good things. That, that feels really good. I think a couple of years ago we said no to bad things. And to me, I think that's what success is, is get to the point where you can say no to some good things even. So I once listened to master Watson talk oh, yeah. about some of that. And, you know, Matt was winning, winning a, his weekly award. Um, and that is the thing, the weekly award. And what you're shaking your head, dude, you've, you maybe yearly, you, we'll go yearly. No, you've won a lot of awards, but the, I mean the good ones, but, but yeah, so he, uh, was awarded a master award and he went through, we actually did one of the podcasts is about it's master Watson's advice or something, but talking about being able to say no to things. And it, it's, it's, it's actually Craig, the CEO, COO of Stackify, who's also, also talks a lot about the yeah. things you do, you put it in your backpack. If you're on the way to the top of the mountain. You got to carry that up. Yep. So be careful what you're. I'm terrible onto. at it. Yeah, I, yeah. I have been too. I try to <laughs> yeah. try to keep that on on point. And you know, sometimes it's just about like, well, do I? Is this something I want to do? And does this have a really high upside? So, well, Justin, thank you for coming in. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks we appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, you, and you know, once again, uh, go to nativedigital.com, native digital with the underscore for the socials. Check out fullscale.io. Um, the most important thing is that you like, review, and subscribe to what we've got here. And by the way, once again, to the dude that dropped off the closer t-shirt, TRG Homes, thank you. Still looking for some fan art of Matt Watson. <laughs> Whoever sends that in is going to enter, immediately be accepted into the Startup Hustle Hall of Fame. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.